Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. Armando Salguero will join Outkick 360 in 20 minutes. We'll head up to Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. Today's day one of the workouts. Defensive ends and pass rushers on the field today. We'll get Armando's take on all the news across the league. Plus, Trey Wallace coming up in about an hour and 15 minutes from now. SEC headlines and more. We'll continue with the headlines and it's Chad, we mentioned with Danny what Charlie Baker, the new president of the NCAA, where he will be in terms of relevance two years from now. And it's looking on the horizon and considering what's happened with Mark Emmert over the last two years, who's now no longer the president of the NCAA. So the NCAA has released a memo to all members, and it's, it's based off of Texas A&M and what they're doing at College Station. They're not directly saying that. But this is the NCAA's response to it, where they're reminding programs, they're reminding athletic departments that the school cannot compensate athletes directly. So this is two weeks after Texas A&M announced the first time that we've seen this, a name, image, and likeness initiative through their fundraising foundation, which is the 12th Man Fund and the 12th Man Foundation. It's which all, is a part of the university. Right. And it's, it's all funneled through there, and then they're representing... It's like 12th man plus NIL. It's like in the name of yeah, what they're doing. It's yeah. like, um, it's more or less a collective on campus, right? Yeah, and, it's a collective through a university group. Yes. And organization. So they're releasing a memo reminding like, hey, you, directly the school can't be involved. Uh, of course, you're, you can't set up as a, as a school, you can't set up the NIL with the booster. We saw that in Miami, where Miami agreed to some type of punishment, although it was a slap on the wrist. They agreed to this prior to any ruling being uh, set forward for them. But Ross Bjork, the athletic director at Texas A&M, in his response to the memo that was sent out, and when asked about this through Sports Illustrated, says something very important in the response, and it's exactly what the NCAA is afraid of. Ross Bjork says that he followed state law and NCAA guidelines, not rules, not regulations, guidelines, and followed state law. He had that cleared, and then he let the NCAA and SEC know what the proposal was through the 12th Man Fund. And he said that they're following state law. And if you remember what Mark Emmert did as a group a governing body, they took a step back and said, follow your state laws and what your conference is doing and everyone handle it on your own. Well, so the loophole in this, from what I can understand, is you, you get the benefit of being a part of this 12th man fund if you donate to the foundation, which is tax deductible. But where they're blurring the line is you're actually making a donation on behalf of NIL and a separate donation for tickets. You know, you're getting the, the benefit of certain tickets because you're a 12th man, you're a member of that group. 
um, and you're doing a separate purchase for that. And so the the donation isn't directly money in the, the pockets of the school because you're actually paying for the tickets on the side that you're getting upgraded for because you joined this initiative, if that makes sense. And so he's saying like, hey, we're not taking the entire check and splitting it up and it's going to season tickets and you're buying them through this. You're actually cutting two different checks. And by the way, wink, wink, we're following state law. So if you're following your state law, Chad, and all the NCAA has are guidelines, quote unquote, what can the NCAA do with this memo? Well, let me shock you right here, Button, right okay. now. Because I don't know that I've had this stance in the last two years on this show. Okay. Um, the NCAA is right here, and Texas A&M is wrong. Okay. okay. And, and here is why. You don't have to do this if you're Texas A&M. We all know the game and how it's played. NIL collectives pay the players. They're paying them to play. We all know it. You know, hush, hush, wink, wink. They're getting paid to play, but that is paid through boosters, private donations to a separate NIL collective. Now, there are certain state laws where the school can, you know, a coach can say, hey, you know, feel free to donate to this collective, right? They can say that and promote it, but you can't get kickbacks from the school and the program for giving money to a collective to go get the five-star receiver. So what A&M is doing is they've taken this and said, hey, you're going to get seat upgrades to the lower level or to a box for one game if you give X amount to the NIL portion of your athletic association deal that you've been giving us for years. Um, the fact that Ross Bjork is saying, hey, we're abiding by state law, but yet he felt the need to send a letter of what he's doing to the NCAA, not asking for permission, just telling them what he's doing, basically to CYA, to say that I sent them something. And the NCAA comes back and basically says, yeah, we got what you sent, but we never approved it. We never said it was under the guidelines. Now, here's the biggest issue. And from the, the statement from the NCAA, there's one line in the statement that I'm going to highlight, and it's the exact thing that Ross Bjork and A&M clearly are violating with this whole deal. But here's the key word. The NCAA's current interim NIL policy the current interim NIL policy will prohibit an institution from compensating student-athletes for the use of their NIL. This is clearly what A&M is doing through this program, through their own alumni association, athletic association donation yep. that helps with tickets and everything else. But again, the problem with this is the NCAA's current interim NIL policy, there's nothing permanent, there's no true guidelines on it or rules, but... Texas A&M and everyone else knows what the NCAA at least has said about it right now. And this is what they have said. So I understand what A&M's attempting to do. They don't have to do it. They're doing just fine in the NIL space without doing this. This is a cute way to basically push the envelope even further and see if you get away with it. And they got their hand bitten back a little bit by the NCAA by sending out a mass email to every school in college sports saying, hey, uh, we're not going to name A&M by name, but you can't do what A&M is doing right now. That is against the rules. Or what? That's that. Well, that's a great point. But I, I would Stan Wilcox is the one sending this memo. Yeah, I mean, they, not they the could, new president of the look, NCAA. They could continue to do it in violation of the NCAA rules. What I'm saying is, I don't think the reward is worth the risk here. Um, because whatever we think about the NCAA, the University of Tennessee is still going back and forth to the NCAA on what their self-imposed punishment is <laughs> and what these coaches are going to do. I don't know how. 
I don't know why, but they clearly do still have some power that Tennessee's not just coming back and saying, we punished ourselves, we fired everyone, we've done this, this, and this to correct it, we're done. And that's not good enough for the NCAA. They're not agreeing upon the self-imposed punishment. So there must be some well, bit of power left. All I'm saying is A&M knows that they're breaking the, now again, what is it, the current interim NIL policy. They are in violation of that. But the, so if you, the 30,000 foot view of this, A&M, they're looking to have more control over the collectives because right now the administrators don't have necessarily the same power as the collective that's going out and pulling these recruits in, selling this name image likeness, putting a partner with the player because the school can't have anything to do with it. And if you find the loophole that Bjork is honest and open about, which is what he's saying, well, we're following state law. And oh, by the way, our athletic department's going to have more say over how this money is allocated and who it's going to instead of us being told who it's going to. And, and that, Ar- needs to be the, that needs to be the next step. Arkansas is doing this quietly. Uh, there are other SEC schools that this article points to and says that it's specifically in the SEC, athletic departments tell Sports Illustrated they are exploring the concept of running their own NIL operations through their fundraising arms. And the quote from one school official says, this is going to be the way we all do it eventually. What does that mean for collectives? Maybe they go away. And I I think that's what Texas A&M is trying to make happen within their bubble of College Station. And if that happens, great. Because I do think the evolution of this that needs to happen, and in part in the beginning, I do. now you're getting some athletic programs saying, we're figuring it out more now. We'd like to have some more control and say over it. Whereas before, it's just like, don't ask me about anything. Don't tell me about anything. Yeah. I don't want to know. Let's let the collectives operate on their own. We're not going to promote them or talk about them. What eventually should happen is the Gator Collective at Florida or Spire Sports at Tennessee or the, the 12th Man Plus NIL group at A&M, what they're trying to do, they should all be university athletic department employees. That should be a wing of the athletic department. Spire Sports in Knoxville, I don't know that they would want this. They want to act independently. But in all honesty, the way this thing should go now that it's legal is they should be a part of the athletic department and work hand-in-hand with the athletic director, with the coaches, with the assistant coaches that are recruiting, with everyone. And that way you have more uniformity in terms of what you're doing as an institution. And it's not just some group going rogue, like the Gator Collective offering $13.5 million for four years. And then coming back off that and making the whole university look bad. So I understand where, where it's trying to go or where it maybe should go in the future. But I'll also say, I mean, the NCAA is not wrong. What A&M's doing is in violation of what their current interim NIL policy states. The, so I, I, now what they can do about it, that's a great the, question. Here's the other thing. Um, this is what is eventually going to happen. You've got Texas A&M, because they're the example here. We can use Arkansas, too, they're mentioned. They're trying to bring it in-house. If you have Yeehaw and Old Smokey as a big sponsor for your stadium, right? But yet, through the NIL collective, they're now going to take their money and put it through the collective and not the stadium. What the university's trying to do is keep their their share and then funnel a sliver of it to the player. That's what, And they're going to use that as a marketing chip for why you advertise on game day with the club or that with the program instead of the player only off the field. Bingo. You've hit on a and big issue here. That's what A&M's doing. Absolutely. When, when an athletic director at a school goes out and tries to fundraise, 
that athletic director is now in direct competition for his fan base and alumni base's dollars with an NIL collective that that's doing their passionate own passionate about the same that's university. That's getting events going with players that they have yeah. in and watch parties, and they're doing all these things to try to get people to donate. So it doesn't have to be that way. That's kind of what they're trying to do by you know bringing the two together. But let's face it, that's, that's what it is right now. Now, I think some more forward-thinking athletic departments, their, their deal is, well, look, if someone pays $25 a month or $250 a month to a collective, let's mm-hmm. say, and that's helping them feel like they're getting better players and we're getting more talented, better players and we're winning more games because of it, that's a rising tide raising all boats type situation. So then they're going to come back and give more money to the athletic department because the collective is helping bring better players and we're winning more games. I, I can see how that could be the case. I would also say if you're Old Smokey and Yeehaw, as an example, uh, here where we, we do our show, and you wanted to go to a school and say, you know, what's our biggest, the biggest bang for our buck? Yeah, we want to get our product into a stadium. Or yeah, we might want to have a naming rights deal with the baseball stadium at a school or whatever. But what's the value of giving a ton of money to the NIL collective and getting every star athlete to endorse? Well, the it, product it depends or to have the product. events. A car dealership. I mean, there's a car dealership in Ohio that's in the news because of Carter driving one yeah. for NIL at Georgia. Right. And you, would you want that with an alcohol company? That's one thing you'd have to ask right. specifically here. But my point is, th- they're now legitimately looking at that where before. If you want to do business with an SEC program or a Big Ten program, well, you're going to spend some big advertising dollars with that school's athletic department, and that's how it's yes. done. Well, now there's options. There's a market out there. I could spend X amount to do this and sponsor the, uh, the soccer stadium, or I could spend that much money and do this and get the star quarterback, receiver, running back, point guard, power forward, all endorsing my products on social media. And all doing something for my my outfit, right? That's what businesses have to decide. Chad, we could see history tonight in college basketball. Detroit Mercy and Anton Davis. He can break Pete Maravich's all-time scoring record for college basketball. He is 26 points shy. And he will pass Maravich in the record of 3,667 points a record that has been in place since 1970. And that's important to note because Pistol Pete did this in an era where there was no three-point line. And Davis, look, I, I love this, with Detroit Mercy having the opportunity to be the all-time leading scorer at that college. They could be eliminated from their tournament tonight, and this could be the last opportunity for him to break this all-time scoring record, but he's able to do it with the three-point line. It's a huge deal. It's massive. I don't. I don't want to. You know, understate that this is a, an enormous deal because, you know, how many years ago did Pistol Pete play? It's been a long time. Yeah. And now someone challenged that. So you know, we can sit there and say, I think it was 1985 when the three point line came into college basketball. So even looking at it from that perspective of, you know, Maravich played in the early 70s, and then you know, fast forward 12, 13 years to 85 when the three point line comes in, and that changed the game and scoring, but. I mean, we're talking about 38 years ago now that the three-point line came in, and 38 years later, we got a guy who could break the all-time scoring record. It's an enormous story. It's less of a story, obviously, because it's not at a power program that everyone's paying attention to. Uh, but it's a, it's a great story cool. for this kid. I also think that it shines a light on the greatness of Pistol Pete when you inform people that, oh, by the way, 
he was one of the all-time great shooters and could hit from anywhere. And he did all this in an era where three-pointers didn't count. He shot a lot of three-pointers. He could do that. He would have had a lot more points yeah. had it existed then, but they, there wasn't even a three-point line. I'm fascinated by the, just the top five, the all-time leading scorers in the schools. So Pistol Pete, of course, at LSU. Anton Davis at Detroit. Mercy. Uh, Freeman Williams from Portland. Chris Clemens from Campbell. And Lionel Simmons from LaSalle. Those are your top five all-time leading scorers in college basketball. I would like to do a study on the success those teams have had while these oh, guys scored that many points. But because here, here's the kicker. I think there is a direct correlation. And P- Pete Maverick's the same way. He didn't have a ton of success as a team in his time at LSU because there were – Kentucky was a great example. Kentucky's uh, uh, Adolph Rupp's philosophy against Pistol Pete was – We'll put one guy on him, and he's going to light that guy up and score a bunch, but we'll shut everybody else down and we'll win. And they'd win by 15, 20 points, letting him score 60 in the game and not having an issue with it. So and he's I'd like up, to see the overall top 10 and then see their career records yeah. as a player Well, so to see if there's something there. So this is his fifth year of eligibility. What I don't know uh, in looking through this story, because the COVID year, you got the bonus year. I'm talking about Davis. What I don't know is if their season was played or not in the Horizon League. So I don't know if this is really only four years or if this is actually the fifth year and he's played all five. Sixth year? You got guys with six year of eligibility now too. Yeah. Well, this is just, this is his fifth season. Yeah. And so Pistol Pete also, keep in mind, played three years. And he played, so this is his fifth season and they played 30 games in 2020. Yeah. And Maravich averaged 44.2 points per game. Davis averaging 25.4 points per game. I'm guessing that's over the course of his career, Davey, that he's averaged 25. So... Big difference there, and to do it in three years. And this guy's already the all-time leading scorer from beyond the arc. Uh, 578 threes is it, what he's put up. It's also incredible that this is an era in college basketball, to give Davis credit. Yeah. The defenses are ahead of the offenses right now. I think, I think defensive basketball, at least this year in college basketball, is way ahead of offense with most good games that you see. And here's a guy who's on the precipice of breaking the all-time scoring record. Pretty and cool. they take on number one seed Youngstown State this evening at 8 o'clock. Coming up, we'll head to Indianapolis, and we'll chat with Armando Salguero on all of the big NFL headlines next on OutKick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back, and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. 
That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Chad, I'm not sure. I mean, I can't do it. The average fan can name specifically an umpire or a basketball NBA referee. There's right. like one in every uh, league, I feel like, that the average fan could maybe name. I think in the NFL, it's several. Yeah. Well, the NFL, but, that's with everything because it's the most popular. In the NFL, several. But some maybe some good news. Good news to me. Um, Jerome Boger is retiring after 19 seasons wearing the white hat. That That is a name in oh, the NFL that's not synonymous with great officiating. No, it's going to be a sloppy. Jerome Boger. It's not going to be well. Uh, it's not going to be communicated well. Let's put it that way. Uh the great communicator is Armando Salguero, and he joins us from Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. He's got Lucas Oil Stadium right behind him, where all of the players uh, will eventually go through drills today, the first day of that. Armando, hope you're well. Walt Coleman. How's Walt Coleman reference strike you? That's, uh, well, that's uh, another one that's his, uh, on the way out. And his son. Is it his son or something that also stepped down? I don't know. but uh, I'm just Walt ha- Coleman, the... Yes. It's Walt Coleman the third or the fourth or something. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Oh, so other than Bryce Young and Jalen Carter, what's the what's the big headline in Indy? I haven't even I haven't heard a single thing about uh news not related to Carter, Bryce Young, or teams with quarterbacks that aren't even present there in Indianapolis. Correct. And one quarterback who is present, who a lot of people are buzzing about, teams are buzzing about, is Anthony Richardson from the University of Florida, who Outkick.com wrote about earlier this week. Well done. Uh, Very, very good work at (laughs) Outkick.com by whoever wrote about him. It's a great writer. I read that piece. And whoever that writer is, is really, really talented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good verbs. Anyway, so the look, he is an enigma to me, okay? Because everybody looks at the body and thinks stud. And then you look at the body of work and think potential for huge bust because the 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 tape on with rare occasions is just not there. I mean, obviously he had a great game against Utah and he had that Huge run against LSU last year, which doesn't happen very often, by the way. You don't go 80-some yards against LSU yeah. and that defense, and, you know, you're a schlub. you got to be some kind of athlete to be able to do that because they put athletes on the field. So Anthony Richardson is both of those. He is incredibly promising and incredibly uh, scary because he can be – you know, an elite quarterback someday, or he could be the reason somebody gets fired. Armando, uh, and I, I read the piece on Richardson and enjoyed it, and I keep thinking about positionally when you talk about underwear Olympics and where guys look the part but haven't necessarily played the part. When it comes to film and where you reach on a guy that looks the part that hasn't played the part at different positions – and where that works out more often than not. You know, I think pass rusher, for instance, 
maybe corner at times. Like you can go get tangible qualities and they could turn out to be really good pros. I've just never looked at quarterback as that position. When you talk about the guys that athletically are so gifted, but the tape doesn't match up with them, there's just, I think, so few examples of guys that have worked out. Maybe Josh Allen is the top one that comes to mind right now based on his stats at, at Wyoming, but he had all the physical tools. What do you make of that with what you see covering the combine year in, year out, of guys you hear that get momentum and how it breaks down by position and where it may work out more often than not as opposed to maybe quarterback? Kicker. Yeah. <laughs> no. Physically, you want Sebastian Janikowski. The bigger the kicker, the better. Yes. That's what I've always said. Kicker, kicker, it works out. If the guy has you know a leg that is three times bigger than the other leg, typically that leg is going to hit the ball and strike the ball really, really far. Guys, let, let's be clear here, okay? Most of the teams, I would say 99% of the time, they come to this combine knowing that what they have seen on tape is the truth and what they see on the field here on, you know, over the next couple of days is just, you know, marginal. It's, it's, it's off on the margin somewhere. The real um, accomplishment for teams here is done in the meetings that they have with the players where they try to get inside the players' minds, inside their soul even, to understand who those people are as human beings. That's what they're really looking for here. Um, guys that run 4-3, you know, in the 40, all of a sudden, or even not all of a sudden, uh, run 4-3, but haven't shown that on tape. Most teams are not fooled by that anymore. There's still rare occasions where teams get fooled by that, but uh, there have been just too many instances where the workout warriors fool teams into picking them where the tape says, no, you shouldn't do that. And you get burned for it. You really do. So I want to. I'm glad you mentioned four three forty guys because it, in Phoenix, the Super Bowl, we had a chance to talk to Jalen Hyatt, who said his goals were on a four two nine forty, and some comparisons with him to some guys that honestly aren't that favorable that shot up the draft boards into the first round that are just really fast. But when you look at Hyatt, who had a great season this last year with Tennessee and won the Blitnikoff Award, but not a great overall career. What do you think, Armando, what do you think NFL executives will think about Jalen Hyatt based on the fact he is probably going to run a very good 40 time? Right. That's different now Yeah, because you, you have at least uh, the introduction to a body of work, right? Um, now, a one-year wonder is not better than, you know, three really good years or two even really good years, but it's not like you're picking – a speed number and we have to understand and and i often am guilty of forgetting this today we're talking about 21 22 23 year olds okay um there are quarterbacks in the nfl that are 24 years old <laughs> and we're we're making decisions on whether they're you know, in their third year busts or not. They're, they're 10 years, maybe eight years from their prime. 
So we have to pump the brakes a little bit on the fact that, you know, they haven't showed us everything that we want to see yet. Well, of course not, because they're barely out of their diapers. <laughs> they don't know how to tie their shoelaces yet. Uh, let's give them, you know, you, that that's the beauty of extrapolating and projecting, which is what draft selection is, is about. Uh, some teams are better at it. Some teams are not. There are very few Javon curses that come out looking like, you know, Adonis already, you know, in rock and stone and and ready for the NFL wars. It, they just don't happen. Did they? Re- did the Houston Texans really try to make us believe that they're not taking a quarterback at number two? Did that happen? They're so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> they are like they're going to take a quarterback yeah. obviously yeah okay um but jonathan to be very frank with you nick casario's got that new england i'm smarter than you vibe yeah. going on that has only worked one time and that is when tom brady was in the building that's the only time the new england patriots i'm smarter than you approach has worked it didn't work in Miami with Brian Flores. It didn't work in Minnesota, in uh, Detroit with Matt Patricia. It's not worked with Nick Casario in in uh, in Houston. It didn't work in Denver with with uh, you know Sean uh, McDaniel's. It it, uh, it it's not worked in Las Vegas mm. with McDaniel's either, and so. Give me a break on the, you know, we 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 have ways of doing things that we're going to do it with, and we have a belief system, and quarterbacks are one of 11, and they're not any more important than the next guy. No, 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 you're wrong. The quarterback is the most important guy, and, and anything that you say that's not that means you're an idiot. So I don't want to hear it. You can also go read at OutKick uh, Armando's column on the Bengals and the example of how you stay good is more difficult than becoming good because you eventually have to pay your quarterback. Joe Burrow, at Justin Herbert's in the same lane. Joe Burrow's eligible for the contract extension this offseason. What, what are you hearing on, on that front from Cincinnati? They're negotiating. They're going to do it. They need to do it. But the number is, is the rub, obviously. I had one NFL person who told me $60 million per year. Wow. Okay. Right now, Aaron Rodgers is uh, the highest paid NFL player on a yearly basis at 50.2. So if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So (laughs) that is amazing, that number. But you know what? Um I'd pay it. I would definitely pay it. And I'd be happy that it's not 60.1 because Joe Burrow can is a has proven, proven in year three that he can carry a franchise. Bad offensive line, I'll take you to the Super Bowl. Good offensive line, but they didn't show up, you know, for two weeks in the playoffs. I'll take you to the AFC championship game. Uh this guy, uh, one Cincinnati coach said to me, 
he's an assassin and he's our assassin and they're right. And so, you know, whatever Joe Burrow's agents decide is the right number, the Bengals will try to get a discount off of that, but it's going to be a very high number. So the NFL Combine also serves as kind of a giant NFL convention uh, for everyone around the league and also everyone who covers the league. Armando, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers. Where does Aaron Rodgers and what he's going to decide versus what the Packers are going to decide and the New York Jets and all of that, where does that rank on the list of priorities to discuss with your fellow media members when you're talking NFL at this Combine? Oh, Aaron Rodgers is subject topic number one. And if you get around the New Yorkers, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> there is no other topic. Uh, the New York Jets are high on Aaron Rodgers. They they want and moreover need Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and the reason that they need Aaron Rodgers is because they need to make the playoffs in 2023 so that they continue to feed their families with jobs. Otherwise, if the Jets, who were 7-4 and four last year and missed the playoffs, uh, missed the playoffs again this season, this coming season, uh, there's folks that are, that are out. Robert Sala will be the Jets' next ex-head coach. They're, they're aggressive. Uh, uh, Schefter just went on NFL Live and said the Panthers have also called the Packers about Rodgers. I'm sure there have been others too. But it does, Frank Reich doesn't strike me as the great coach for Aaron Rodgers. He, to me, it's much better. Rodgers will be the OC in New York with Robert Sala as the, as the head coach. I don't see the personality traits meshing well with Frank Reich and Aaron Rodgers like I would with Derek Carr. No, I think that Frank Reich and Derek Carr are a better uh, match than Frank Reich and, and Aaron Rodgers. I think that Derek Carr and, and Frank Reich are of like mind. They are of like faith. They are of like, um, you know, background kind of in yeah. that, you know, <laughs> those are two people that are pretty good at what they do they were kicked to the curb by the teams that they were doing it for. And that, that similar experience, uh, we forget the, the Colts, they were three and five, I believe. Was it three and five? Yeah. Three and five when uh, Frank Reich was fired and they won one game the rest of the year. So it was a flawed roster and a flawed team that had a lot of injuries and the quarterback, you know, got suddenly old all of a sudden, but Frank Reich had him, you know, teetering, teetering on 500. And then he left and they were bad that just outright bad. And so I think he's a, he's a pretty good coach. He's a pretty good leader. And uh, he he knows offensive football and he can teach offensive football. And I think that Derek Carr, who could probably use some even in his ninth year, would would benefit from from that union. Got two more quarterbacks for you to discuss. I, the Giants surprised me this season, and I'm a bit surprised with the reports coming out that not that they're going to franchise Saquon Barkley, but that their number and Daniel Jones's number are far apart. Um, 
Should I be leaning towards the New York Giants having a different quarterback next season? No, because the number is $32.4 million. Uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, the, the New York Giants can put a franchise tag on, on um, you know, Daniel Jones if it doesn't work out, and yeah. it will be $32.4 million. Obviously, they don't want to do that because that means that you have spent the entirety of all your cap space on one guy. And they don't want to do that. They want a contract. So they're going to go up from there. I would say they're probably, you know, close to 40. But they're not going over 40. And I would say to you that Daniel Jones wants to be over 40. Because the contract at 40 today that looks okay, in three years when Daniel Jones thinks that he's going to be rocking and rolling at his height is going to look bad. And the Giants know this, and Daniel Jones know this, and that's why Daniel Jones is not signed right now. Next Tuesday is the deadline for the franchise tag. And I'm curious, do you think that, I mean, Lamar Jackson will get the tag if they don't come to a deal. Does he get the exclusive or non-exclusive tag? Meaning that if he signs, if another offer sheet comes in and he signs it from another team, the Ravens get two first-round picks in return from said team. Which way would you lean on the payment plan for Lamar Jackson in Baltimore? Right. So Eric DaCosta, the, the general manager yesterday, said they haven't decided which way. He is very optimistic that they're going to have a deal by next Tuesday. Do we believe that? I don't know if we believe that. Not based on the $60 million per year for Burrow, no. Well, Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson. Not I to, think everybody. Well, we know what he, it's his value to Baltimore, though. Right. Well, you know, if I if if fake GM Mondo is running the Baltimore Ravens, yeah. he is trading Lamar Jackson to the Chicago Bears for the first overall pick, and suddenly I'm I'm rolling with Bryce Young, and. <laughs> and let the Bears go all out with Lamar Jackson if they want. And if not, let Houston do it, and I'll go with C.J. Stroud. And I'm, you know, and I'm not paying $50-plus million guaranteed to a player who wants fully guaranteed despite missing the end of the last two seasons, thus causing question marks about durability. I, I just don't do that. I, I, I love you, Lamar. You are a stud when you're on the field, but I can't guarantee you everything when you haven't guaranteed me anything. Yeah, and that's all fair. They, based on what they're saying, they're dug in on retaining him. And it's it's just interesting that the the other side we, we know, we don't know because he's representing himself and he continues to just shake off offers left and right. <laughs> yeah, you know... I, there's there's going to be nuance there, obviously. I, I do believe that Lamar wants to sign his contract. He's under a little bit of pressure from the NFLPA because he is, you know, obviously not got an agent and they don't want him to knuckle under yeah. and, and, and sign a deal that agents will, will look back on and go, oh, my God, he killed us. But you know what? 
teens right now are dealing with that kind of situation in that they are dealing with uh, a contract that is killing them. And that contract is the Deshaun Watson deal that was fully guaranteed. And now every quarterback goes, well, he got fully guaranteed. I should get fully guaranteed because he did it and I'm better than him. Uh, And teams are just going bonkers over that. They hate the Cleveland Browns for doing that. Final thing for you. Is Miami going to pick up the fifth-year option on Tua? Yes. And they really don't have a much of a, you know, (laughs) much of a decision to make there. I mean, you, you just do it and you've guaranteed yourself a fifth year. You get to string it down the road and see what Tua ultimately becomes and not just becomes, but whether he can become because durability is a question with him as well. He is trending in the right direction. The durability thing is the problem. It's obvious that the 2020 class, Burrow is getting an an extension because, of course, and Justin Herbert is going to get an extension because, of course. Yeah. Tua, I don't, you know, that's not going to be an extension. Yeah, and it's a very affordable fifth-year option for a starting quarterback. I think it's, what, $25 something like that. When you compare that per season to what the others are getting, you pick up the fifth-year option, and you can always extend him if he's really good after next season, too. I mean... Not just that, but you can franchise him. So right, oh yeah, sure. They, they they've got him for three more years, whether he loves it or doesn't love it. It's gonna make Caleb Williams upset because he says he wants to play for Miami. Gonna have to wait. Yeah, gonna, gonna have, have to wait. Gonna have to sit behind Tua. Yep. <laughs> no one sits behind Armando Salguero. Always Never. front of the line. Whenever always he the, the starter. Always the starter, Armando. Thank you so much. You're always great, man. Thank you. Great coverage. All right, gents. See ya. Yeah, check out OutKick.com for the latest from Armando live in Indianapolis from the NFL Combine. The drill started today uh, and go through the week, and we'll see the quarterbacks on full display uh, coming up over the weekend. Anthony Richardson has already been crowned the workout hero of this combine. We knew this was coming. Based, based on everything I've read, he's already won the award. He is the workout champ. But wait until Will Levis throws. Oh, oh gonna, just you wait. It's going to blow Shows some Shows up minds. that arm tat. And then... You know, that, all that, bets are off for number one. That bicep tat really gets those uh, those riders going and the, the NFL GMs. There is an NFL player who is making bank off of a child's card game. That's next on Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Outkick 360 rolls on. Blake Martinez, former linebacker for the New York Jet, Giants. Um, I nearly said Jets. Giants, linebacker. Um, he's 29, and he has made in post-career five, over $5 million in revenue off of Pokemon, off of Pokemon cards and collectors. And when you start thinking about 
he would buy boxes of cards uh, for like $30,000. Davey was telling us that these numbers are insane, Chad. Pokemon is the highest grossing media franchise in media franchise history. They've amassed a total of $77 billion off of Pokemon, the brand. Compare that to Star Wars, which came out in 1977. $65 billion for the entire franchise of Star Wars. And got close to a 20-year head start Yeah, and in making money. Pokemon was first released in 1996. I don't know that that says a lot of great things about American society, that that's the case. But uh, more power to Pokemon on, on this one. Well, it's, it's worldwide, too. I got to think Marvel is going to approach this at some point. If you're lumping Marvel, I guess the cinematic universe, into one thing, that they're probably going to surpass Pokemon. But this is really a, sort of a little engine that could type of story with Pokemon that they've lasted this long and continue to make this much money. That, that is incredible, those numbers. I, Barbie, $19.4 billion all-time sales. I mean... Mickey Mouse and Friends. There's a Barbie movie coming out this year too. Less in sales than Pokemon. Mickey Mouse, eleven billion less in sales than Pokemon. I don't get it. Like, well, I, it's they have to be like it's, it's a global it's a, it's a thing. single. Yeah, and it's it's got to be that it's fascinating. That's bigger than Star Wars. First off, to I me, know, right? Like, that blows my mind. But it, they have to like keep it in because if if I said Disney, right? Disney's got to be more. Right, like if I used all of Disney as a company, that's got to be more. Davey's got some more info on this. It's got like one, Mickey Mouse is one part of Disney, but if I said Disney or Marvel, is that more than Pokemon, Davey? Wait, can you rephrase that question there? So Disney I, or po- Disney? When you, Disney's worth 180 I'm, billion on yeah. the market right now. Well, well, the big thing with Pokemon is, I mean, I kind of grew up whenever this was first starting. Uh, obviously, came over from Japan, but the big thing that happened was, I mean, they were cranking out new episodes constantly and they were able just to keep evolving with the different types of Pokemon they had. I know several years ago, Pokemon Go was released, the app, and that was like a worldwide phenomenon. And I know you could like do in-app purchases through that, but I mean, it's just, it's a huge brand. Like I've, I've worked with kids in the past and like it is something that's just transcended time for the last 25 plus years. Davey has never been less cool than that right there. I don't know, man. That knowledge of that right there, that's I, the least cool moment. I, I drink and I know Davey. things. I feel Anything. dumb for, for not knowing that this is the highest grossing media franchise. I had no idea. I had no idea. I mean, I'm just, I just, again, I, I have no response to it. I'm silenced. $180 billion right now on the New York Stock Exchange. Disney's Disney. a lot of media franchises, though. I feel like, you know, in, in one. It owns us all. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Headlines next, including Bruce Pearl and his rant.